0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of State of Sport Management. This has been coming fast and furious. I took a big break, definitely, with that spring semester with two classes online and having my daughter at home with me for four days a week, but we are up and running here as Today on this recording, we are on Thursday, May 5th. For me, I have finished semester, but if some of you either are at that point or are probably rapidly nearing the the end term here. But today we're gonna kind of dive into a new topic, something that I hear talked a lot about. Some people probably are interested, nervous, excited about these topics, but we're gonna talk about NFTs or non-fungible tokens and then also fan tokens that are associated with that. And so with that topic I brought in, Dr. Becky Aiken, who is at the University of the Pacific, and she's going to kind of give us some education on these topics. So, Dr. Aiken, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Matt. I am really excited to be here. I have known about the podcast and been following a lot of the stuff you've been doing uh, to try to, you know, provide more information and more knowledge in the sport management realm. So, I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. That's, you're very, you're too kind, definitely, for that. But, um, looking at your CV, it looks like you're kind of a midwesterner at heart. A lot of school in Minnesota, uh, Winona State for the, I think they're still D2 or if they aren't D2, maybe they at least were D2. Um, but then you did Illinois State and now you are very much not in the Midwest. So what's it like being a Midwest like person out in the West Coast?
0: Yeah, so we... Uh- Got moved out to California for my husband's work last August, and so I always tell people that we actually are kind of in the Midwest of California, we're in oh. the central part of Northern California, really close to Yosemite and near Modesto. So it's a farming community, we live in a town of 10,000 people, so it's really not that different. Uh, it's very flat where we're at, there's mountains on either side, but it's very flat, so it's really not that different from Illinois, not like we expected it to be, other than. It is warm. I haven't worn a coat yet. Don't see snow. I mean, the summer is probably going to be blistering hot and it turns brown in June. But other than that, it's really it's really been very similar. Obviously, work has been quite different moving from a graduate sport management program into working in an undergrad program part time and then teaching online for a lot of different universities all across the U.S.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say it had to be pretty different going from normal Illinois. And I don't mean that as an eloquent statement. That's the actual Tom for Illinois State to having to go to um, Stockton, California. Yeah, so that probably, I mean, what was that move like from picking up all your stuff and going that far?
0: Yeah, well, as we were talking about before we got started, I have two small children. And at the time, our youngest was uh, six months old, seven months old, and our oldest was just over two. And so, you know, driving for 29 hours across the country with two small children and a dog uh, was quite the experience, but my husband's brother came and drove one of our cars. So we had a little bit of a break and actually we, you know, made it a four or five day trip and uh, it was kind of enjoyable to kind of do that, that process nice and slow. We stopped in Salt Lake City, we stopped in Colorado, we did a little sightseeing on the way. So, uh, you know, the kids unfortunately won't remember it that, that we did that trip, but we had a good time with it and it was stressful uh, and a lot, but, you know, ultimately life experiences are all good. In my opinion, you learn a lot from them. So
1: yeah, I'm saying for sure. That good thing you broke that up. I can't imagine saying like hey, we're just gonna do this in two days. That would be that'd be terrible. Yeah, especially no. with two kids. <laughs>
0: they would not, they would not have lasted. I can guarantee that.
1: Oh gosh. Okay. So enough about that. We're gonna kind of dive in and talk about NFTs. Like this is this topic um that's kind of burgeoning this year. Not that NFTs are around for just this year of 2021, 20, 22, but they've been around for a little while, but not too long. But they're becoming more of a discussion, especially within sport. But Dr. Aiken, kind of kick us off from there. Like, what are they? Like, how are they? Like, give us some details about what NFTs are for the audience that maybe is completely unfamiliar.
0: Sure. So, full disclosure, I just came back from the Creator Economy Expo conference, which is not sports specific, but it is talking a lot about basically Web3 and technology and how. A lot of people are creating content and trying to monetize it, and NFTs and Web3 and the blockchain technology factored a lot into our conversation. So there was actually an entire track talking about Web3. And so we, I've just got back from doing a ton of talking about NFTs, um, and I think it's helpful for people to kind of just real briefly understand, you know, how Web3 is a little bit different than. Web 1.0, which was when the internet came on, Web 2.0, which is when we started using social media to communicate with one each one another. Um, Web 3 kind of uses blockchain technology to take out the intermediate intermediary and connect to people or organizations directly with one another, so that you can. Uh, transfer intellectual property much more easily. And so cryptocurrency itself is decentralized and it allows for exchanges of value without the need for banks or credit cards. And it's also open technology, meaning that you can see transactions as they happen on the blockchain. Uh, The the negatives are that you need to have a wallet such as something like MetaMask or Coinbase to manage those different uh, transactions. But Cryptocurrency has really allowed us to kind of think about the way that we transfer digital assets, which is essentially what non-fungible tokens are. They're really just a digital asset and there are a lot of different ways they can be used and there are a lot of different ways they are being used. And when you look at NFTs, non-fungible tokens, it's a really horrible name uh, because it really doesn't really mean much (laughs) unless you spend a lot of time reading about it. But the difference between a non fungible token and something like Bitcoin, with which most of our listeners have probably at least heard the word Bitcoin, um, that's a fungible. So that means that it's not unique. One Bitcoin is not not different or unique from the second Bitcoin. Non fungible tokens are different and unique, and they have a unique piece of code that identifies them as being an original or a unique asset, and. They their value can change based on how unique or how desirable that they are. So I'm a Ku fan. Rock track a little bit of a good year for for us Ku fans. And so you know an NFT, a, a digital collectible of the video of Mark McCourt. Mark, I've got I've got a. You know, UMass on my brain, um, of McCormick's <laughs> dunk toward the end of that game, right, would probably be something valuable that a KU fan would want to own. And you could make that an NFT so they could prove that they have an original clip of this happening, uh, which is essentially what the NBA is doing, right? They're making digital assets out of video that they are then selling to fans to be like a digital trading card. Um, so that... It's kind of confusing because there are a lot of different use cases, but what we're seeing in sport right now is a lot of the the quote unquote, making digital collectibles, which are really not that different from traditional collectibles, right? Our trading cards or signed memorabilia or a signed ticket stub from a game, right? That's not that much different than an NFT of this moment in NBA history from your favorite player.
1: Yeah. And so adding on to that, I think collectible is a really important word for me to understand this space because, and this is going to get to our next thing. is talking about like what analogies or what could you use to describe this to older generations that never went through this experience. This isn't part of their upbringing or they aren't young enough to maybe feel interested in to connect with this. But collectible sticks out to me in the sense of, I think a lot of, especially older generations will confuse like Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrencies with NFTs. And obviously there's some crossovers a little bit on the especially in the background that you we as consumers may not be aware of, and at least how they function to us, but at least how they function as an, as a service or an industry. But what would be some comparisons? Like if you had to explain this to your parents, your grandparents, to someone old, like essentially in a different generation what would you try to give analogies or how could you try to explain it to them that might make it simpler, uh, but maybe not fully rounding into the topic that we're talking about today?
0: Yeah. So there there are a lot of different use cases for NFTs, but I think the easiest one and the one that's most common in sport right now to understand is it's really no different than the art world has been for however long the, the art world has existed, right? A piece of art has been traded for a Value that is often connected to how rare it is, whether it's an original piece or a limited edition print. Uh, Lower serial numbers in a list of limited editions have higher value. When a artist passes away, they have higher their art usually becomes more valuable. Much like when an athlete retires, it's likely that their digital uh, NFT of them dunking or getting their thousand thousandth point or throwing their first touchdown is going to become more valuable. It functions much like the art world in terms of a, a value or a collectible and how it's valued and, and traded and sold. Um, there are some important differences, but that I, for me, that's like the easiest way to view the, the NFTs like Top Shots is that it's just making something that previously wasn't collectible collectible and tradable on a market. Um, what's a little bit different in the digital aspects, asset space with the NFTs and the blockchain technology is that those transactions can be tracked. And while you can you can create a forgery of an NFT, right? Somebody could say that this is a Top Shot's released video that they have, but it's really not. Uh, it's much more difficult to do, and there are serial numbers that show authenticity. If you really wanted to, plus, whoever created that, whether it's Dapper Labs, who is in the the partnership with the NBA for Top Shot, um, whether it's the NBA or uh, an individual athlete who created an NFT, they can build a smart contract. Into that NFT, so that every time it's sold, they can get a piece of that profit, or they can have a percentage of the profit go to their favorite charity. So the the blockchain technology allows them to build that into the sale, which makes it a little bit different than like when you go to an art gallery and you want to sell a piece of art, right? The original artist doesn't see that, or when digital. Ah, uh, song rights are sold. Oftentimes, the original songwriter doesn't get a piece of that secondary sale, but creating them as NFTs and creating smart contracts makes that possible and trackable.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to kind of add on to that because there's there's so much going on here to talk about. But one complaint I hear about this, especially when I think of old older generations or people that maybe aren't interested in this area, is like, why is this collectible? Why do people care about this stuff? Like, how is there suddenly an economy burgeoning of this, like, supply and demand setup? And to me, I think of it as like, we've seen people collect things that have been found to have zero value in the long run. Like, I remember as a kid, uh, the craze about Beanie Babies that were going on. And now it's like comical. There's a, I think there might be like one or two Beanie Babies out there that are actually worth some money. So no one, please get angry about their Beanie Baby collection if they're listening to this. But in the other sense, like a lot of people thought they were going to be collectible. So everyone saved it and that created this great supply glut and there was no demand, but people saw in the moment that they felt that there was going to be some collectability to these things. And even now, like, especially since COVID happened, I've noticed collectibles have really gone up even like cart, like actual. So we're going to talk a lot of comparisons about cards, but even physical cards, if you have old 80s cards have gone through the roof value wise because people couldn't spend money to travel or do whatever they want. And so people that were older that lived through that generation now have wanted those things. So people are kind of seizing these moments now and they're making collectibles out of these moments, especially related to sport that you've kind of talked about. And the other thing you bring up security, I've definitely heard people like, wow, congratulations, you have this uh, steampunk or... You have this, whatever, like, and I can just do a control, like I can screen capture it. It's like, well, congratulations. You can find like a 1930s bottle of wine that go hundred thousand dollars and spend enough money to remake the label and get a bottle that looks the same, put wine in it and try to mimic that. That's your collectability. Like that's never stopped you from trying to copy other collectabilities in the past. It's like, that's kind of been the disconnect for me with people having complaints about this, but not seeing how it applies to the physical world too.
0: I think that's always been, uh, I uh, have a former student who will appreciate this when she listens, but I, I always tell her, like, I I realize that it's hard to think about a picture of a silly looking ape being worth millions of dollars, a lot of money (laughs) that is literally no different than we ascribe value to art or cars, or um, I mean, people collect all kinds of things. Harry Potter collectibles, all of those things garner a lot of money that we as humans give value to because we say they're valuable. And so the, the digital assets, they're no different than that. I think it's just a little bit of a struggle right now because you don't feel like you physically hold it, right? Uh, and I think that's what people are, are really struggling with. Like, how is this a thing? But really the, the core concept of it is not any different than any collectible that we've been collecting for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah. And these are statements of wealth. Like they're <laughs> yeah. statements of status. Yeah. Like that's like especially when we get to like the board ape stuff that's in the millions of dollars and that's tough for people to comprehend. Like there's a demand because people see it as if I own one of these, it really is making a statement on who I am and how much wealth I have, which we can we're not going to discuss the that the whole social dynamics there, but kind of switching in is how so how we talked a little bit there about how are they being used in sport? So we can, we've kind of hinted around this, but kind of talk to us a little bit about like how NFTs are being used within the sport industry.
0: So from a league standpoint or a team standpoint, what we see right now uh, are both, and I actually think MLB NBA and NFL all have some form of a, a top shot, similar platform where you can buy a digital video um Kind of snippet like that that acts like a trading card where you know those sport leagues are are trying to make money right like that's an additional source of revenue for them. Obviously, the the platforms that are hosting them, whether it's Avalanche or Dapper Labs, they're making money off of
1: yeah. So Becky, let me stop you right there. So give background, tell us a little bit of like what is Top Shot oh, if you can, or or um, like one of these companies that has a partnership. So we've hit the one point of you have these professional organizations that are building a licensing agreement. With this other company, and they're creating NFTs, but like, what are those? Yeah, you know, what does that consist of, and what do they look like, or um, how does that company exist?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> that's an excellent question. Um, so I think that, first of all, I think the best way for anybody who's really interested, you should go to the Top Shot website, NBA Top Shot website. You can buy a pack for very little, like for nine dollars, for very little investment to actually see the experience and see what this thing is. Um, they're they're modeled on the computer screen, just like the packs I used to open as a kid that my mom would buy me at the oh, yeah. store. I mean, they look just like that with the cool foil wrappers. Um, when you mint them, we call it minting. When you buy an NFT, um, and they. <laughs> So I bought a couple because I'm super interested in this space. I think it's a really fascinating, we'll talk in a minute, why I think it's so fascinating. Um, and so I bought a couple to kind of see, and it literally is like a, a few seconds video clip of a moment happening in a game. Uh, in when you buy a pack, there were four in the pack that I bought. They're They're randomized again, just like that experience of tearing them open when I was a kid. You never know which ones you're going to get. They have different rarity levels and um, different numbers of the same moment that were minted and and put in these different packs again just like trading cards were when we were kids and so you might get a rookie moment a, f- a first dunk or uh if you're doing a playoff moment you might get the you know the winning three pointer from Steph Curry whoever it is in your collection and then you can trade those on on the platform uh, as a collector for people who might value them more. So just like when I was a kid and I had Grant Hill was my favorite player back in the day. So I was always trying to find out, you know, which one of my friends had his cards and I was always willing to trade lots of different players, really anybody for Grant Hill. or not <laughs> in the morning. For some reason I was an Alonzo morning fan that I, didn't I can know. see
1: that teal Grant Hill hot rod Pistons Jersey.
0: Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, and so you can do the same thing on the top shot platform, top shot platform also tries to gamify the experience. So they're, they're trying to get people to collect more and incentivize that by making it fun and interesting to do so. Um, my- so
1: I'll give an example from what Dr. Aikens given an example. They'll have what they call challenges during the year and they'll have one day where it's like, Hey, um, there'll be nine, let's say there'll be nine NBA games on and they'll say, Hey, if you have anyone that has the, a moment, instead of a card, they call it a moment. If you have a moment of each top score in all nine NBA games today, then if you put them, they have a little area that you can kind of put them on one area. And if you have them in your account all at the same time, they will send you a free pack or you'll get a special card or they'll give like this kind of goes into the gamify system they'll have some type of reward for you doing it and it keeps people engaged it allows people then if they maybe have seven or eight let's say dr aiken has like seven of the top nine scores then she can go on their marketplace and purchase the other two if she wants to to potentially get whatever that reward is so sorry you can just yeah.
0: That's great. That's a really great explanation of like what the gamified experience looks like, because that is a huge part of what Dapper Labs and the NBA are trying to do. And the NBA is the first one that I, I haven't bought any of the NFL uh, or MLB um, or WNBA yet. I do have plans that WNBA is also on the same platform as the NBA ones, the Dapper Labs platform. Um, so I haven't I haven't bought in the other two um from the other two leagues, either, but I am interested to see if they're. I assume they're going to be doing the similar gamification uh, experience.
1: For sure, I'd be shocked if they aren't. It'll. The interesting thing to me is baseball has always been the king in the card business. It's always been the most collectible, the tradable. It's also obviously was around a lot longer. It went into the card business earlier. Now things are different. It'll. It's been a while. New generations. It'll be interesting to see if baseball does as well. They have a similar product called Wax that operates very similarly to Top Shot, but um, and I think actually I don't even know if Wax maybe it's as Tops, but it used to be Wax.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, Tops now. Um,
1: okay, gotcha. I think
0: using a new platform.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I actually end up selling all my MBA, almost all my MBA Top Shot moments. I the only ones I've kept is my WNBA ones. I think those are actually going to only get more valuable in the future. Um, Cause I ended up buying a couple of them. I have like my Sue bird moment and a couple of rookies. That I think will be really cool in the long term. but the NFL is kind of the next in the line. I'd say NBA top shot was the earliest. Now you have this NFL moments. It's also through Dapper Labs. They're going, we'll be interesting to see once football season comes around, if they're really going to push that hard, but yeah, I'll be interested to see how football does compared to the other sports with its popularity now at an all time high.
0: Because you mentioned baseball, uh, I want I do want to put out an interesting baseball project NFT project from an individual athlete. Um, Evan Mendoza of the St. Louis Cardinals has this project called Diamond Dogs, and um, he's got he's very artistic and he likes art, so he basically is creating NFTs that it's it's a profile PFP project, which is a profile picture project, more like uh, the Board A Yacht Club. Um, And so you can purchase a Diamond Dog NFT. It's your own unique little, you can use it for your profile picture on social media. And then you get into the club uh, and you can be uh, airdropped different things like additional NFTs. Uh, They can airdrop you coins in uh, cryptocurrency if they want. If they create their own coin, they can drop you uh, coin drops. You get to be part of a community, the money that they raise through this. If you own an NFT, you get to vote for where some of that money goes. A lot of it's going, not a lot of it, some of it will go toward charity. Um, That type of project run by an individual athlete and then his team um, is what I think is really fascinating in the NFT space because the, the leagues will use them to monetize, make money, right? Great. But there are different NFT projects built around building community and then trying to do things with the money that is raised that are important to those athletes uh, in a way that is fun and gives some sort of value back uh, to the the individuals who are collecting. So like your board, that's kind of the, I wanted to circle back around to, you know, you don't just buying a JPEG. People say that all the time, like, this is a, just a really expensive JPEG to put as my Twitter profile picture, but you almost always get more than just the picture. You get access to something or someone. You get opportunities to vote on where money goes uh, through DAOs, decentralized uh, autonomous organizations. And so there are projects like uh, Diamond Dogs and Meta athletes that are in the sports space that are built around NFTs and selling NFTs. But the real goal is community building and doing something towards some some sort of uh, change that matters to the person who created it, which I think is a really fascinating use beyond just the digital asset, the digital
1: collectible piece. Well, and Dr. Agin hit on the interesting thing of bringing up individual athletes. I think the teams are doing this very traditional thing. They're creating a very similar thing as a baseball card and they're modernizing it. You are seeing some really cool, innovative, more risky, unique things on the athletes side, individual athletes. You bring up like great example of Mendoza, Matt Serzer, he He's a former Cubs player. He had, I know he bounced around for a little while, but he is putting up incredible art that's selling for highs. Like I'm just looking at his Instagram account; he's got art that he's auctioning right now that's at selling for over ten Ethereum. Like that's got a, I don't know what the value was there, but like that's 30, incredible dollars.
0: Ethereum's are yeah three
1: thousand. So we're talking about certain athletes have really caught into the right moment of where they're finding art collectibles that are really capturing fans attention getting value because like yeah art selling for that much we're talking about serious art serious cost that's going on to do that that's where you're seeing like if you really want to see where nfts could really the potential like you want to really understand the deep end of going at. look at what individual athletes are kind of doing into that but going further can you tell us a little bit about like some other businesses maybe or individual things outside of just athletes and professional sport teams that are doing within NFTs?
0: This is just based on chatter I'm hearing and what I've seen happening. um, I, I think it's very likely that in the near future tickets for all things, not just sport events, but for concerts, those will become NFTs that you will hold in your wallet that, you know, if I'm a season ticket holder, my season ticket becomes an NFT. I scan it to get, I have this one code, right? I don't have 60, 80, 80 home baseball games. I don't have 80. (laughs) 80, 81,
1: 81. 81.
0: I don't have 80. I don't have a ticket book with 80 tickets, right? I have one scannable NFT that I scan. And if I want to sell that NFT or if I want to transfer that NFT, I will be able to do so. And the team say, the giants that I'm out here in the Bay area, um, they will be able to write into a smart contract that every time that NFT is sold, they get X percentage cut of whatever it's sold for. And not only that, but they can get all of the data from the people, the chain that it's sold to, that they can then use in their marketing to better understand target markets, or you know maybe they get a list of everybody that bought a season ticket on the through an NFT of a season ticket and they can try to market another ticket package to them right like there's a lot of utility in getting that data as well i mean i think we're definitely going to get there with season tickets for sure and honestly all tickets in general we might not be calling them nfts by then we probably won't we probably won't be using the term nft forever We will rename them something, but that's what they will essentially be. They'll be existing on a blockchain where they have smart contracts. Um, There's a lot of chatter that like our home deeds will be NFTs that exist on the blockchain that you can see exactly where your car or your house or how when it changed ownership, who it changed ownership from um, on the blockchain, which I think is super fascinating. But. We, again, probably won't be calling them. We'll probably be calling them smart contracts uh, instead of NFTs. But I do think that that, that's happening um, at some point. And what that will also allow teams to do is continue to create community or do rewards for season ticket holders built around those NFTs. So owning that NFT of your season ticket gets you into a special discord is what we're using right now if you've been on a discord server i don't know if you are matt but discord is an average platform it's it was built for gamers um but it's like a you know it's just like any chat platform but if you have the nft you get into a special discord gr- group for minnesota vikings fans which is my favorite team where maybe the players pop oh in i know right where the players <laughs> happen to hop in you know, once a week and you can actually have conversations on that chat group. And then owning that NFT gets you access to backs, you know, behind the scenes tours or practice sessions or what. I mean, the team could build whatever they wanted as part of the NFT and your proof that you are bought in or your proof that you're part of the group is that non-fungible token. And then if I decide 10 years from now, I have to give up fandom because I just don't have time or energy for it. I own that, I can sell it to someone else for whatever I want to on the blockchain and then transfer that value along so I can get out at any time, which I think is really interesting uh, use potentially of that technology.
1: And we are kind of going, I feel like as this conversation is going, we're getting closer and closer to this concept of like fan tokens that I know are really interesting. So Can you tell us like what, what are fan tokens? How is that going to be related or why does that matter in sport?
0: Yeah. I don't want to talk about it forever because I know that we don't want to be on your podcast for two hours, even though I could.
1: Uh, (laughs) Don't worry. Dr. Simmons will give me a hard time on Twitter that I, he feels (laughs) that I cut off some guests.
0: (laughs) So fan tokens. um, If you all, if any of your listeners have heard of them, they may have heard of them being used by soccer teams in Europe. Uh, Many, English Premier League teams um, and even some Bundesliga, Bundesliga teams have put out fan tokens, have created fan tokens on the Socios platform, um, and fan tokens are what we would call a utility token, which means they're technically not like they're very similar to Bitcoin or Ether uh, or Dogecoin, but they're not. You can't just go on to somewhere like Coinbase and trade them. You have to you have to trade them for some type of cryptocurrency that's actually traded on the on the um, Ethereum network or, or um, any of the other blockchain.
1: or the brokers like yeah. Coinbase or whatever. Yeah.
0: Um, but what those teams are using them for is essentially if fans buy them, obviously the team gets the value, right? The team gets the money that the fan invested and the fans get merchandise voting you know maybe the team will ask them for opinions i'm i don't think i hopefully nobody is assuming that they're going to get to start making you know choices on who plays or who you trade for um but you'll get to you know the team could ask you questions about which jerseys you should wear and you would get a voting right or maybe they're going to rebrand or maybe they're going to order um new supporter gear, you could get a a chance to vote on that, right? You would be part of the community that had that right because you own fan tokens. Now that's part of like, that's interesting in some respects to me, but as a marketer, my head's going to, wow, how could you reward loyalty using those fan tokens? And how could you get people to do things like fill out the surveys that you need to improve your marketing, your event experience? How could you get them to do things like engage on your social media accounts and really become ambassadors, post user generated content so that they can help do marketing for you, right? These are all things that you could use those coins. You could give them coins for engaging in actions that you wanted to them engage in. And then let's think about corporate social responsibility. Could you encourage them to shop at certain retailers by giving them that coin? participate in certain causes by giving them coin as as a reward for doing so. So I think there's a lot of potential opportunities to build, again, build community and fan loyalty using something that has actual value so that if they do decide, you know what, I'm out. I don't want to be a fan of this team anymore. I'm going to sell all that for another team's coin or put it back on the blockchain and get my money out. I can do that. You're not likely the research that's been done on this in sport management has focused on the economic return. You're not likely to make economic return, at least not right now by buying your favorite team's fan token, even if it's Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, but at least you are putting in an actual value. And what we know from human psychology is that when people have monetary, something monetary connected to something, they're more bought in, right? You have a monetary interest, a financial interest in something you're going to be more invested in its success because the better it does the better you do
1: yeah i think one example to me that really sticks out i think you wrote on you wrote this as an example when we were talking on email before is the packer stock sale there's something that is explicit that there's no value that you can't you don't actually get dividends? You don't get any return on your investment. It is you're purely a sentimental component, and I get that the Packers is unique that they're the only, only owned publicly traded NFL team. At least they pr- might not be the most not only publicly owned professional sport organization in I the US. they are,
0: I believe, they're the okay.
1: one. I believe. Gotcha, and so to them, they're still selling them because there's still demand out there for it. And it really speaks to like fan sentimental value that's related to your fandom, the team that you root for, whether that's Minnesota Vikings or whoever, that they can create some intrinsic value that connects you. And sometimes it isn't even about data. Maybe you can sell them for a small incremental cost, but if 50,000 people want them, then you're talking about a significant revenue that can be generated. But to me, that speaks to me because I don't think the Packer stock sale went as well this year, which they've done now a couple of times, but they're still generating people that want that certificate and they think it's valuable. And so when they go digital and maybe they did do some stock sale through NFTs this year, I don't know if they did. I I mean this last year.
0: I think it was physical.
1: But I'd be shocked if the next time isn't that there isn't some value to that. And maybe this will be somehow a way teams can raise incremental stuff like, Hey fans, you spoke to us, said you want to, you want to completely renovate this area like hey like you can help us renovate we will somehow get you in a lottery system and get you better tickets but you commit to this early we gamify it and we're able to connect with our fans in that way but to me that's a great example to me on how that kind of connects on these so I mean do you think everyone's going to be every team's going to have some type of fan token in the next five years or so or
0: I think it's hard to say because, so a couple caveats to this. First of all, I should say Socios as a platform has deals with teams, partnerships with teams in um, the major sport leagues, all the major sport leagues in the U.S. None of the major sport leagues, to my knowledge as of yet, have given the okay for their teams to create their own tokens. But what, so Socios has that relationship I'm assuming to get their name out there so that when teams are ready to okay the fan token thing, they're going to be the chosen platform because they already have that relationship. Um, I There's a couple challenging things. First of all, um, there's a lot of legal implications. If you have a token, you have to be very careful what you say and how you explain it to the people that buy it from you because you don't want the SEC knocking on your door, telling you that you are engaging in a um, security and promising people that they can, you know, make a return on this investment. You have to be very careful how you talk about it. So there's, you know, the, especially in the U S the professional sport leagues are going to be very careful about getting into that until we see where the SEC and Uh, where the federal government are going to land on crypto in general and NFTs and um, social tokens because there is still a lot of uncertainty in what all this means. Um, I can tell you that I think it's very likely that that at least some teams will, as soon as leagues are ready, will move into the space and give it a try. I think that all... A lot of our rewards programs from Starbucks to Marriott to Airlines will eventually go the tokenization route um, so that we can trade them across different businesses, then those those reward points that are essentially meaningless become a little bit more meaningful. And so I think once we kind of figure out what how the government wants to is going to regulate it, I think. It's very possible, but without knowing how they're going to come down there, I, I won't say within the next five years, Uh, but I do, I do think it is going to happen. Uh, I think we're going to have fan tokens. Uh, I think that we'll have to see how we uh, communicate said value. Very, I have a couple tokens, not sport related tokens, because you can't actually buy on the Socios platform in the U S you can't buy tokens from like FC Barcelona or anything right now, because they don't know how the U.S. is going to regulate them, so they don't allow that. Um, but I have bought some social tokens from some creators, and uh, seeing how the values in those change, those creators are very careful when they say, "You're not buying into this to as it to make money. This is you being part of a community, and I'm rewarding you for being part of my community by giving you these social tokens, and then I'm going to gamify your access." To perks based on how many of these you own and the areas of the Discord server you get access to, you know, depend on how many of these you own. So it's very similar to NFTs in terms of like building community and access for social tokens and fan tokens. So I think we're going to get there, but I think we've got there's just a lot of unknowns. And the other challenge is it's got to be more user friendly. So like right now, if you want to go out and buy, um, I have Tiltcoin, if you want to go out and buy a Tiltcoin, um, you know, you'll have to figure out how to use MetaMask and how to put, how to buy Ether and MetaMask to trade for Tiltcoin uh, and that can be very confusing for people. If you go on Rally.io, you can um, use a credit card to buy Tiltcoin. So Companies like Rally are trying to make it easier for people to get into the token and uh, crypto space, but there's still pretty serious barriers. And if you own any crypto, you know that um, if you don't take very good care of passwords, you can lose all of your access and there is no bank guaranteeing like i just heard the story um from brian fanzo who runs a podcast called nft 365 you should look it up um it's a very fascinating project and he was telling a story about how he sent his money to the wrong wallet he put one wrong letter he changed a zero to an o and his money got sent to the wrong place so like it can be very scary because it's it's not super intuitive and it's not super user friendly. Once it gets more user friendly, and we see mass adoption, I, I think that that will happen. But to do that, it's going to probably move from being decentralized to be being centralized decentralized, which makes no sense. But uh, but basically, what that means is there'll probably be large companies like Rally IO or OpenSea that make the process of buying and selling tokens and NFTs and crypto. Much easier for the general person so that they aren't worried about losing their seed phrase and losing millions of dollars, or even honestly, thousands of dollars would be a big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and this is going to go into the next topic, but it feels like at least a couple times a year you hear about a story that someone, especially when Bitcoin or whatever is going crazy high in price, so you hear about some story of someone that bought it in 2014 at very cheap and they had. 70 bitcoins on there and now they lost the password of that hard drive so it's sitting on their computer and they can only get so many password attempts like i've read stories about people that have got yet you know, potentially millions of dollars sitting there and they have no way to access it and it's kind of this weird situation it's not like the bank or you give them an id or you go and get your social security card and you're able to provide theirs it's this, this model that's different and i don't know if that part will change definitely the user friendliness of the brokers that will have to be provided that they know the systems well enough that their platform will be able to guide you through and say, Dr. Aiken, here's something, if you want to put cash in or US currency, here's how you can put it on here. Then here's how you can purchase whatever type of cryptocurrency, or you can essentially then buy those and then have the cryptocurrencies. And then you want to trade for NFTs. Like here's how you can do that. And I think it's getting better, but it still is a long ways. And I know some people still like the complicated model because that's what they grew up using at least because they have uh, they were early adopters. So I think it's this weird in between of early adopters like all the functionality, even if it's complicated if you're new, because they're not new, but the new users are coming in and they're way over their head trying to figure out how to dabble into this new marketplace. But this goes into scams, like NFTs, you're going to have scam concerns. That's like, these are things that I'm assuming we should have our radar up for to be concerned about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to mention this real quickly because I don't want us to get super technical. And also I'm not a computer programmer, so I have a decent understanding because I spend a lot of time reading this. Um, But like you mentioned, like the purists, the point of this is to be decentralized. So for it to be made easier, the only way to make it easier is to centralize it. And the whole point was to be decentralized. So that's kind of the weird uh, back and forth dichotomy because you can't like call Bitcoin and be like, hey, I lost my Bitcoin. There is no one to call. Right. And so I think that's keeping a lot of people um, away. So really important things to know. First of all, if you're interested in the space at all, definitely go out there, read about some NFT projects and do your research. Learn about the people who are running the project. Like Matt just said, there are a lot of scams out there. There are stories of people selling 100 NFTs, and then poof, they disappear, and the Discord group is shut down, and your money is gone. So do your research. Read as much as you can about the project, uh, the people in it. The thing that was mentioned over and over and over at my conference was this this whole economy is built on trust. It's all built on trust, which is why, by the way, it makes a lot of sense for sport, because sport fans have this level, high level of trust with a sport organization often, uh, and athletes, right? But if you want to know more about the space, dabble in it in a really low-cost way with projects that you can learn a lot about. If you can't find a lot of information about it, you might not want to jump in, especially if you don't have a lot of money to, you know, give. If you're somebody sitting on a couple grand and you're like, I don't care what happens to that couple grand go wild, find the next Dogecoin or the next, you know, project that blows up the next ApeCoin. As we're recording this,
1: ApeCoin seems to be going crazy.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so invest in something random, you lose your money, you lose your money. In terms of monetary value, it's very similar to the stock market. We make bets on the stock market all the time. Now, again, we're back to, there's no government oversight of it. So it, it, you could literally lose all your money with no insurance, no backing, nothing. It's literally just gone um, in an instant. So do your research. Uh, remember that it's very, very early in this space. I would really encourage you to uh, look for it. So we say it isn't the blockchain, it's blockchain technology because there are multiple blockchains and some talk to each other and some do not. So you might get on to buy a uh, Diamond Dog, and it doesn't talk to the wallet you're using, or it doesn't, you know, it's not on the it's on the Ethereum blockchain, um, but maybe it's not on the blockchain that you're using. So spend a lot of time reading before you jump in and buy. Don't just be like, oh, I saw this on Twitter, it sounds cool, I'm going to jump in, unless you have money to burn. Um, and also, the other important impact that I just want to mention is that there is a lot of concern about the environmental energy impact because. These crypto transactions and mining for Bitcoins and minting NFTs, those have very real energy costs that can be very negative for the environment, which is why you pay something called a gas fee. And gas fees are pretty high right now. I was just looking at some uh, NFTs this morning and they're, they're pretty high right now. Uh, and so, remember that you know there there are also negatives to this digital space. I think it's easy for us to be like, "Oh, this is great! It's all online, so there's no environmental impact." But but there are very real environmental impacts. So, do your research, and only go in with money that you could afford to lose.
1: <laughs> I think that's a good finish for us because because yeah, remember these are speculation and speculative products. There's people that are going into this just to. Profit and they don't care about the background. So you have some concerns there. But we're going to end here on a fun question. What is your favorite and least favorite class to teach?
0: Oh, wow. That's tough. Well, I'm lucky because I get to teach mostly marketing classes. I don't, I have to throw a shout out to Dr. Liz Sattler for her years of teaching finance and law so I could teach marketing.
1: Um, <laughs> hey, Liz Sattler, former former guests of the pod. We did a, and it's funny, we brought, we did kids teaching or being a faculty member with kids. And man, we should have done that at 2am with kids crying in the background (laughs) and everything.
0: (laughs) I guarantee she was great on that. Um, So I think my favorite class I probably taught this year um, was digital marketing and sport at the grad level, because I am really into SEO, um, sorry, search engine optimization and email marketing. And I'm doing some consulting in that space. And so I find that really fascinating and there's so much happening in that. Um, So that's probably probably my favorite, my least favorite class. I don't really know if I have one, Matt, because I've been so lucky. Um, Huh. I really like to teach, too. So that makes it even harder. I
1: come on, Becky, there's gotta be a least favorite. Like
0: I taught research methods for years. I love teaching research methods because I'm a nerd and I like to research. Um, you know, so I will say, I'm going to not call my, if I had to pick the least favorite, it's probably sport analytics, but not because I don't like it, but because it's a really tough class to teach because you have a wide variety of knowledge coming in and, uh, most students interested in sport analytics are really interested in performance and game decision analytics. And when I teach it, it's usually like marketing analytics and events and operations and how do we use data to improve, you know, the business side of sport. And so that's less interesting to students, which makes it less exciting for everybody right in the class. So that's probably if I had to choose, but I, like I said, I've been very lucky. I don't feel like I've had to to teach any of the classes that most people would consider to be the least fun
1: ones? (laughs) I think it always depends on the person. You're going to have, like for me, I would hate to teach for marketing because I probably would be sucky at it. (laughs) And I don't even want anything to do with it because I get to see the students being like, you're the worst at this, Just don't even do it again. Um, So that's why I think it is eye beholder. Some people, one person's trash, another person's treasure for a a course uh, assignment, I guess. All right. Well, so this will finish this up. So Dr. Aiken, thanks for joining us today on this topic. This was great.
0: Great. Thank you for having me. like I said, I'm super interested in this space so um, feel free to you know have everybody reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Becky Aiken. Um, I would be happy to chat more with anybody who's interested.
1: Yeah, especially if you got a research project idea, give her a pitch. Let's see if we can kind of get some stuff on there. We'll make state of sport management like the fifth author on that paper it's
0: just some, like, <laughs> can we symbiotic can I, being within which say the first and which is blast management slash sport state i <laughs> I'm put that in the office. M-
1: <laughs> yeah, management S O S. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of CS4 Management. Um, I can't remember if this will end up becoming the last episode for season four or not. If not, there will be one right after that. But then we'll be kicking off with season five. Season five does have Dr. Meg Hancock lined up for our kickoff for that. We're gonna be talking about like kind of meta topics within higher education. We're gonna to to dive into kind of a, a big deep conversation about things we'd like to change frustrations solutions kind of thinking big picture with that so hopefully you'll join us for that and again if any of you have any ideas for a topic or want to do an episode of sales for management or have an area that we haven't covered feel free to reach out send me a dm on twitter or send me an email at matt.hummel at uc.edu and we can kind of chat and see if it'll work out for the group but Again, this should be close to finishing up a season four. So thanks for everybody for listening and hopefully you'll join us for season five.